Hello, and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and your favorite, well, multimedia? I'm one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? I am that guy. Well, I'm not sure what that guy means, but you certainly are a Matt Rossi. <laughs> yes, I am a Matt Rossi. I am not the Matt Rossi because I'm the third. Uh, there's also a Matt Rossi in Chicago who uh, I guess writes as well. And there's a Matt Rossi who's a doctor. Well, that's okay because you are our Matt Rossi. Uh, and you are going to help me answer questions today, as is our prime directive. Uh, we have several questions from our wonderful Patreon supporters, as well as some that may have come from non-Patreon supporters. Uh, if you have questions for the show or if you have something that you want to have us cover as a topic, be sure to send them in. They can be about anything you want. As a matter of fact, we have several questions today that are not about Warcraft, uh, which is going to be absolutely fantastic to branch off into because I cannot wait to hear the response that Matt has for at least one of these. So you can go ahead and send your questions into podcast at blizzardwatch.com. You can go ahead and just make sure you specify which show it's for. Uh, make sure you send them in for all of our sh uh, all of our shows because, well, Matt definitely needs more questions for the regular show. I'm always going to want more questions. I am always, always wanting more for Lore Watch. Uh, and we still have Tavern Watch as well, where we're starting to really pick up uh, steam as far as like questions about like tabletop or just games in general. Uh, be sure to send those in. If you don't want to do an email, you can hit us up on our Discord server. We have one for Patreon Q and podcast questions for our supporters. And then we have one for just Q and podcast questions for folks that maybe can't necessarily support us on Patreon. Again, we understand. Uh, but we're going to start with one that was specifically requested to be started with by Matt Rossi. Uh, and this one comes from Mused Moose. Since you asked for comic questions, and we did because we got into a very long discussion uh, on the pre-show about comic books multiple times because that is something that happens. How do you think attitudes towards mutants are going to be portrayed in the MCU? I know the comics have been running with the mutants are hated and feared thing for decades, but the MCU shows superpowered people as being loved and celebrated. Ms. Marvel showed us an entire Avengers-based fan convention and has people making videos about superheroes, including some who are really excited about having a local hero. So I feel like it's going to be hard to sell, the, sell people thinking of mutants as scary when they think of people who got power from science or magic as celebrities. Thoughts? Well, first off, the actual comics Marvel Universe is exactly that, except for mutants. Like, the Fantastic Four are celebrities. Uh, the Avengers are celebrities. People know who they are. There are published comic books about their adventures. Um, in the Marvel Universe, Marvel Comics exists and publishes true-life comics instead of fictional one. But they're fictionalized slightly. Uh, but they are actually the stories of the superheroes. The fact that people don't like mutants in the comics up until recently, and we will get into this, uh, is because superheroes who aren't mutants got their powers through, like, I was bitten by a radioactive spider, I was given a serum, I found a magic hammer, I was exposed to cosmic rays. Stuff the average person is not going to have happen to them, by and large. Um, whereas anyone can be a mutant. Mm -hmm. You can just... When one day I can talk to plants. Well, everybody can talk to plants, Jim. Okay, tree, hit him in the face. Bomp! Ow, my face! See? I can talk to plants, and they listen. You know? And that's scary to people. It's one thing to say, you know, well, okay, there's this, you know, sure, that guy has these weird powers, but, you know, he got them through no fault of his own, and it's not intrinsic. My kid isn't going to be like that. But then suddenly, your kid is like that. That's scary for people. Um, if we look at the real world, just finding out their pe their kids are gay or trans or what have you often sends parents into an absolute freakout. What do you think is going to happen if they find out that their kid can call lightning? You know, you know that's that's one that's one reason why. The other reason comes into racism that we've seen in the real world a lot lately. Have you heard the chant of "You will not replace us"? Unfortunately, yes. Mut mutants feed into that exact same kind of fear, but on a species-wide level. Instead of, you know, these immigrants from some other country won't replace us, it's literally these people with these strange powers are going to replace us. Humanity, the species, will be gone. Now, of course, you know, evolutionarily speaking, so what? 
there still are descendants. Even if human beings are gone, the descendants of human beings will be alive. And there, you know, what difference does it make if they're not the same species anymore? But uh, you know, bigots don't respond well to reason. So that's that's part one. That's that's not hard well, to sell, even in the in the MCU. Joseph will talk now. Yeah, I was gonna say just because you you mentioned a couple things, and one thing I think that also needs to be mentioned is. In the comic books, the idea of, of mutants being hated, for a, people tend to forget that for a very long time, there was an information warfare against mutants. There was entire inquiries. There was uh, very publicized news, not just as far as like extreme news, all news. It was like, are mutants safe? What, what happens with this? Um, this is why it was basically like a... You see it now, and you see a lot of real-world parallels, which is, you know, sad, but th- they were just targeted, so targeted in the comics that it was very easy for the average human to distrust them. And then you also had situations like what I call the speedball situation, which is its whole other thing, but where they were trying to be a public face... And then a horrible accident happens. And if you start looking through a lot of the mutant stuff, a lot of the stories of how a mutant found their power in the comics is a tragedy happens. Sometimes, if not most times, caused by the emergence of their power. Did they all of a sudden summon a bunch of Kirby dots into the room and suffocate everybody? Did they accidentally immolate an entire house? Uh, did they drain the life force from their childhood you know, best friend or lover? Um you know, like these are these are things that are always tied with the story of mutants in the comics. And so it's very easy to believe, OK, in the comics that average human would be OK with getting on board with with the fear of it, because it is so easy to point out all of the bad things that happen around them. Um, Plus, I mean, also, while Joe's saying that also a lot of it was was BS. Oh, it was absolutely. If, if two, like if the Avengers were to stop something, the headlines were Avengers save day. If the X-Men did it, mutants interfere with something, you know, it, it, and it didn't, it didn't help that one of the first most public mutants that people knew about was a guy who went to Cape Canaveral and attempted to take control of, of America's nuclear missiles. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, Magneto had a point, but he was still, blatantly trying to like just do villainous things as the head of an organization that he called the brotherhood of evil mutants. Magneto's got a lot of things going for him. Branding is not necessarily one of them. Uh, But my point being, so all that's true, but, but right now in the comics, the X-Men are not universally feared and hated. Mutants are not. They are distrusted and people are suspicious of them. But over the past few years, um, and this is weird because this is actually because of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Do you want to talk about it or you want me to? Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Because the the MCU came out and became huge right around 2008 with Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man. But Iron Man only got got a movie in 2008 because Marvel couldn't sell the rights to him. Marvel had unloaded the rights to the Fantastic Four, uh, Spider-Man, and the X-Men. They're big comics. They're most popular comics at the times of these sales. Now, the Avengers were certainly well-known, and the, the characters were all famous, but they were definitely not Marvel's big moneymaker. Right around the time that they were successfully selling the movie rights to their characters, Marvel flat-out got rid of the Avengers, they, they, they outsourced it to artists who used to work at Marvel who had started their own company, namely Image. They just straight up said, do you guys want to like just take this over and put it in its own universe and you, you'll write these comics and we'll do something else? Because they couldn't figure out anything to do with the Avengers. They couldn't make money off of them. And keep in mind, too, Marvel went bankrupt in the 90s. Uh, this was before they were owned by Disney. They yeah. were before they, you know, they, they went straight up bankrupt. Yep. They were... They were close enough to folding that there was scuttlebutt about DC slash Warner Brothers buying them. Yeah, that was a big thing. I remember that. Yeah. So when Marvel came around to doing, they wanted to do movies that they, you know, they'd seen their movies make a ton of money. They didn't get much from it because Mm -hmm. they, the licensing deals had already been made. They'd already been paid. They didn't get a cut. So they wanted to make movies where they'd get a cut. And that's understandable. Um, 
Well, especially because so, it was originally they weren't sure that the movies were going to be successful, right? They, yeah. And that's why they, the original deals were in place to begin with is they were. The original, they were, yeah. They didn't know if they were going to be successful. And also they straight up, you know, into in the 90s when they made those deals, they were desperate for money. Desperate. Um, the only properties they had that were profitable were Spider-Man, the X-Men, and the Fantastic Four. That was it. And those mm-hmm, were the only ones mm-hmm, they managed mm-hmm. to unload. Um and so as a result, it, when it came around to 2008, after they'd done, they'd had like Marvel Entertainment for a bit, they'd had the cartoons, the X-Men and Spider-Man cartoons, which were both successful. They had a Fantastic Four cartoon that wasn't, and I'm not talking the 60s ones. Uh, that's a whole different story we'll get into at some point. But in the ni- in the late 80s, early 90s, they had, you know, they had Spider-Man, the X-Men, Fantastic Four and Iron Man also had cartoons. And while they weren't as successful as the Spider-Man and X-Men ones, they did stay on the air for a few seasons. So Marvel was like, okay, Iron Man's got some brand recognition. Uh, people know him well enough to buy toys and we can make a lot of toys because he's got like a billion freaking armors. How do we capitalize on this? And they, they couldn't sell him. So they made their own movie. And that movie probably had it not had Robert Downey Jr. in it. I don't think it would have been successful. I'm just going to say that I like Iron Man. I've liked Iron Man since before uh, the movies, but as a character, Iron Man was not somebody you were going to try to build a cinematic universe on. Mm-mm. He was, he was time. a B list. Yeah. He was a B lister. Well, he was, a, he was a B list alcoholic that was failing as a comic book at the time. Yeah. The, and that's what I was trying to get at is right around that time that they spun all the uh, Avengers characters off into their own universe. They'd actually had Tony Stark become turn out to be a traitor who'd been working for Kang, who then died and was replaced by himself from the past as a teenager. Yeah. That's comics something are weird. they did. Yeah. yeah. Comics are weird. So all that stuff happened. The MCU came out. Iron Man was, was very successful. And now Marvel was like, okay. And it kept getting more successful. And I don't remember exactly when Disney entered the picture. I don't know if Disney owned them in 2008 or not. I honestly don't remember. Um, I know that they ended they ended up owning them at some point, uh, and when they did, so it was two thousand and nine. By the way, okay, so so shortly after Iron Man came out, they bought Marvel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, when Disney became in charge, one of the things that happened was they had a, a, a difference of opinion between um, Kevin Feige, who was in charge of the movies and so forth, and a really unpleasant man whose name I can't remember the the one that was basically a hardcore jerk. I don't remember, but, but continue. Yeah, he basically, he was in charge of the TV stuff, like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and he made a show called Inhumans, because at the time, Marvel did not own the rights to make films or TV shows or anything with the X-Men. Or Spider-Man. Uh, yeah, or Spider-Man, but but the X-Men's important here, because, because they didn't, he decided they were going to make the Inhumans into their big deal, and at the time, he had control of the comic book company. Mm-hmm. I think it's Perlman? Is that who it is? Might have been. I, yeah, Ike Perlmutter, I think. I don't know. I can't. I'll go look this up at some point, guys. But trust me, he, they did not have control of the X Men at the time. So he decided, since the Inhumans weren't owned by anybody, they'd use the Inhumans. And you could tell that in the comics, they were trying to make the Inhumans into the X Men. Yeah, to the point could, where you could they tell that even, with a lot of the comics at the time too, yeah. right? Like the Fantastic yeah. Four had the comic had ceased to be in production at the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. They were they were officially dead, quote unquote. Like the uh, Vision, the, the the Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver were suddenly not mutants anymore. Yep, like they just demutanted them, and you know, turns out they were characters- just they were genetic yeah. experimentations, not mutations. Yeah, which is you know more in line with the the comic book origin, but the Inhumans, the Inhumans push in particular was basically based around the fact that here's this group of weirdos that we can make into the source of all superheroes instead of mutants, and they'll it'll be you know we'll just use them instead. It didn't work, uh, although it as did, a re- It has hung around in the comic books though. It hasn't. It hasn't. And because I'm, I'm gonna the, get there. Yeah, I was gonna say because I think that's important for the MCU stuff that we're about to be talking about. So yeah. please continue. While they were doing that, they, they, they had a thing called the Terrigen Mist, which was a part of the whole mutant thing, the old and human thing. And they used it to explain the, the origins of a bunch of new superheroes. One of the most prominent being Ms. Marvel, yes. uh, Kamala Khan. She was uh, an inhuman who was exposed to the Terrigen Mist when it was dropped on New York City. And it, and it hit people in, in Jersey, which is where she was living. She became a mutant, became an inhuman with the power of like size changing and so forth. I'm not quite the same as in the show, but 
you know, similar in how it worked. She was very popular, but the Inhumans themselves never really took off this time. Like they mm-hmm. just, there was no, there was no Jack Kirby working on it. There wasn't anybody coming along who wanted to do this because they liked the Inhumans. Yeah, don't forget, like the Inhumans were a creation again of Stanley and Jack Kirby, who created mm-hmm. them out of like it was a, a labor of love for them. And so, like Matt's saying, like you had people who were trying to essentially make them into an X Men replacement that didn't really respect the the characters that had been created up to yeah, this point. I it guess would be the best way it to put didn't it. Respect, yeah, it didn't respect the Inhumans. It didn't respect the way that they were written originally. The the Inhumans had this kind of weird alien grandeur to them. They weren't like they weren't part of a world that hated and feared them. They were other. They were mm-hmm. outside. They lived in a city of, you know, like glass in a in a mountain place that eventually ended up moving to the moon. They were cool and otherworldly and different. They were still people, but it was just, it was a different vibe. Um, and they, so they tried to make them into the, the X-Men and it didn't work. And they tried to make them the, the mutants of their TV shows and it didn't work. Uh, and oddly enough, the only cool thing about it is that Anson Mount played Black Bolt in the TV show. Yep. And he popped up again in, in strange, in, you know, Dr. Dr. Strange, strange in, the, in the multiverse of madness. He played the character again. And yes. this time he played him in the right costume. Um, which made me happy, even though I don't like what happened because the answer mounts great and they should have kept him around. That's that's a whole other story, though. Yeah, but as a result of all of this, Marvel at the time when they were publishing the comics were trying to make the Inhumans replace the X Men, or at least that's how a lot of fans felt. And I personally think that it is what they were trying to mm-hmm. do. I would agree. Um, as a result of that, the X Men were basically pushed into almost extinction. Like they were practically killed off. Like the thing that makes you an Inhuman kills mutants. The Terrigen Mist I mentioned actually kills mutants. If mutants get exposed to it, they die. Well, yeah, they they can. So basically, yeah. the context is is the Terragon Mist. If it's a depowered mutant, will reinvigorate them, but it's uncontrollable to what level it will actually do, which can cause them to do things like spontaneously combust. Yeah, but if it hits someone like say who is not mm-hmm. who's already a mutant and is their powers are there, it'll kill them. It makes the, it causes something called mutant pox. Like their faces explode with like goo. It, it's just really bad. Um, all of this is basically saying at that, at when that finally, that, that struggle for control uh, between Feige and, and the other guy whose name I can never remember, even though he's a jerk. Uh, when it was finally, you know, the, 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 Disney turned to Feige and said, you make us billions. You're a dead weight. You have control of it now. So Feige was now in charge of everything. Uh, then they bought the X-Men back. They, they got the X-Men back by just basically buying everything non-news related in Fox. So they got, I think they got the Fantastic Four and the X-Men back at the same time. They do, yes. When they did that, they could now use mutants. They, they, could, no, they, didn't, they could use all those characters. They were no longer restrained from using any of them. Oddly enough, in the comics, that meant that the X-Men came roaring back. Yes. But the writer who brought them back, uh, Kieran Gillian, basically made them the Inhumans. Yeah, they have which, their own weird, mysterious island now. They they've transcended a past. Well, not even death. now. Not even now. They've uh, it was the island that was originally founded by yeah. uh, um, uh, Magneto. And well, no, it's Krakoa. Yeah, so Krakoa. it's not the island that Magneto well, no. originally founded. It's the it's a mutant. The yeah, yeah, yeah. island it, is it itself a mutant. a mutant. Yes. Yeah, the island is a mutant that they live on. It, it's everything that he did made them made them more like the Inhumans, and so. I don't know how it's going to go in the MCU. And I know Joe has things to say and yeah. I want to let him say them. I will just say this because that's, what's been happening in the comics because the X-Men have been getting weirder and more alien and less feared and hated. Like they're even selling people like drugs that make the like, cure most diseases and pro- pro- prolong life to, to get the nations of the world to basically like owe them. And not want to kill the goose that's giving them the golden eggs. And they've developed a magical metal using their mutant powers mm-hmm. that can be used as this amazing power source. And they've terraformed the, the they've terraformed Mars. Mars. Yeah. Yeah. And given it to the other mutants that came from like this 10,000 year dimensional split war thing. And ones that don't um, want that don't appear human and don't want to be on earth. Like the ones yeah. that like, like the Morlocks tend to be up there, stuff like that. And so as a result of all this, the, the X-Men, the mutants are now the Inhumans and yep. the Inhumans are basically gone. Like we never see them or hear about them. Yep. So I, as to, in terms of how this is going to work in the MCU, I think they absolutely could sell the original narrative if that's what they wanted to do. 
because there's a big difference between guy who built a fancy suit or guy with a shield who got a shot once and my kid is now a bat. Yeah. You know, but I don't know. So, I'm going to let Joe talk. There are some interesting things. I've been thinking about this a lot since watching uh, Ms. Marvel, which is uh, absolutely fen- phenomenal. Probably one of the best shows that they've put out to date. And when they actually did that thing where they said the word mutant and you heard the classic 90s cartoon riff in the background, um, my heart swelled a little bit. But then I started thinking about the comics and I've been rereading a lot of the recent X-Men comics in particular, the many lives, the many deaths of Wolverine, uh, the entire line of the Marauders comics, which I absolutely adore, by the way, because Kitty Pride is just amazing. Sorry, Catherine Pride. She doesn't want to be called Kitty anymore. Um, and there's this whole thing where they started talking about where where the Inhumans come from and how they're related to the mutants. And yeah, it's, it's it's actually based on the... or uh, This goes back to the cosmology that Kirby came up with for the Eternals. Yes. Uh, which we didn't even talk about and should at some point, but I just needed to say that. Yeah. So the idea is that the, uh, I believe it was the Cree at the time, um, were essentially seeding planets for life um, throughout the universe. And that the Inhumans were a group of basically Cree that got, that appeared as superhumans and superpowers individuals that, you know, settled in this region of space, essentially. And I'm paraphrasing. It's a lot more complicated than that. But the reason I bring this up is because if we take the idea of mutants being related to the creed, the myths that created them uh, in their sort of lineage and backstory for the superpowers, combine that with the Captain Marvel movie and what we know about the Kree society and how they superpower, uh, super empower people, uh, and then also what we saw with sort of the end sequence, and this is going to sound really weird, but... Um, Long, what is it? Far from home with Spider-Man, because in Spider-Man: Far from Home, you see it's the Skrull that's pretending to be Nick Fury on Nick Fury's behalf, uh, that's operating in the background, and they're already talking about like all these different superpower individuals and things like that. So they already have sort of the groundwork laid for explaining how mutants come about, which I think is fantastic. They can do that however they want. The interesting thing is they've also laid the groundwork for how the mutants are going to be received. It's going to be split. And they've made that very apparent. One needs not look further than, again, Ms. Marvel and look at damage control. Damage control itself throughout what it's been happening in the movies now, especially now that Tony Stark is gone. Remember, in the comics, Tony Stark is the one that founded damage control. Um, I believe he also did in the Marvel Universe as well, the Marvel Cinematic Universe and then it became a government agency after that. Um, it's not associated with S.H.I.E.L.D. S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, does not exist anymore as an entity. Um, it is its own thing that works for the U.S. government and apparently has very broad jurisdiction. And they don't like superpowers at all, at least not on paper. And the agent that was in that, that played the primary role in dealing with what happened with Ms. Marvel and everything that happened there does not like them and doesn't want to follow directions. This also harkens back to something else that they could pull on. And I'm very curious to see if they do is that in a lot of the comics and a lot of the uh, video game media that exists around the Avengers and uh, the X-Men and mutations in general, aim is around still. Now we haven't seen or heard from aim since Iron Man three in the video game that was recently released for the Avengers aim is pulling the strings in the background behind damage control, trying to grab superpowered individuals and mutations to learn how to turn them into weapons, to program them either genetically or, or wipe their minds so that they become weapons that they can use. Then you have people that are, you know, like you see in the show, they care that these people are heroes. They don't care, you know, if they're mutants or not, you know, here's this little girl that just risked her life to go save a whole bunch of people. That's what they care about. You're going to see a split and you're going to see that same like split reception. And I think that's really important. And I'm really curious what's going to happen. Even at the end where, where uh, damage control is, is being told to stand down uh, and the agent, I, I can't remember her name and I apologize when she ignores that direct order and causes a whole firestorm, you're going to see a schism there as well. And I think that was intentional. 
And I think that was intentional because you were going to see the more extremist of those those government agencies break away. And this might be the second coming of AIM with AIM focusing on how to deal with, you know, your mutant situation or these people and operating in a very unethical, almost terrorist-like capacity, which is what AIM was always in the comics and continues to be to this day. You know, that's where MODOK was created because of genetic mutation, like genetic manipulation yeah. and mutation. Okay, we got to jump in here. If you Go don't ahead. know who MODOK is, he's an, uh, he's an guy named, uh, I think, George Tarkleton. That's his yes. real name. Yep. And he's his, a scientist, right? Mo- his name, MODOK, is an acronym for Mental Organism Designed Only for Killing. That yep. is what they named him. Just just keep that in mind. And oh, and he if you don't know this, you've ever seen a character who is a giant head with tiny arms and legs coming out of his chin, basically? That's in him. a big robot hat? That's Modoc. Who has a show coming out or has come out, the cartoon or anime. Yeah, it's thing. out. It's out. I've seen it. But I would not be surprised if we start seeing an introduction to a lot of the weirder stuff that revolves around it, because again, AIM was always tied up in mutants and in humans and things like that because they were always trying to figure out how to make them weapons because aim's primary directive was an arms dealer just like regardless of what you say about iron man 3 they were pretty accurate on that aim wasn't always intended to be an arms dealer and weaponizing bioweapons and in this case people or mutants fits their mo so they kind of have everything set up for that reception and i think it's i i think it's fascinating i don't know if they're going to follow through on any of it but they have almost every direction open to them because of what they've laid out they're doing i think they're doing it in a smart manner so i'm going to shut up and let matt talk for a little while now if he has anything else he wants to say uh unfortunately i have to contradict you on something okay go for it you the inhumans were not kree the inhumans were experimented on by the kree that's right i apologize i apologize what actually ended up happening is this. This is you, you guys have been seeing in the Marvel universe, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They keep bringing up the Celestials, and if you saw Eternals, you saw the Celestials a bit. You've seen them in other stuff, like that bit of Thor, the one of them. In Thor as well. Yeah. So the Celestials came to Earth and found humanity, as they had done in other worlds. They found a species living on Earth and experimented on. When they did this, they created three branches. One is the Eternals. One is the Deviants. You both saw both of those in the movies. In the movie, it's slightly different, but I'm purely talking comic book here. One was the Eternals. One was the Deviants. The third branch was just man, humans. They didn't get the fancy cosmic Mm -hmm, powers mm -hmm. of the Eternals, and they didn't get the weird, constantly shifting changes of the Deviants. But they had the potential for both within them. It's also worth pointing out that the Eternals actually break up into multiple groups, one of which is the origin of, of Thanos. Wasn't also one of, the, one of the offshoots, the Atlanteans as well? No, that comes later. Um, so with the, with the Eternals, we have three, three main groups of Eternals. The Eternals who lived on Earth, who were exposed to cosmic radiation when the being Kronos uh, went from an Eternal to like an almost demigod. They they all have the the same suite of powers. One of them, Alars, the brother of Zuras, went into space where he found a previous generation of Eternals had settled on Saturn, specifically on the moon Titan. He and Suisan, the last survivor of that colony, had a family, one of which was uh, Thanos, the other being Eros, Star Fox, his brother. That's one offshoot. The other offshoot are the Uranians, where a guy named Marvel Boy ended up ending up on on Uranus. I know how the word's actually pronounced, but I'm not going to keep saying it over and over again on this and have people snigger at me. That whole thing it was a different one, but he, they all died. He came back to Earth. He had the, the what would end up being the cosmic bands that Quasar later on used. They gave those to him. And that's where Quasar got them. Complete offshoot, but the point being, humans were just humans. like as, Just like us, until the Kree came and experimented on them. And what they did when they experimented on them was activate the genetic complex that the Celestials left behind in normal humans that gives them simultaneously the potential to change that the Deviants have and the potential to become powerful that the the Eternals have are both in the human genome, but they express differently. The Kree activated it using the Terrigen Mist. And so the Inhumans created a society all about activating 
that genetic complex with the Terrigen Mist. The reason the Terrigen Mist kills some mutants is because mutants activate that complex differently. Mm-hmm. So an activated mutant who is exposed to the Terrigen Mist will likely die because the mist is trying to activate what has already been activated. But that's why when a depowered mutant is exposed to the Terrigen Mist, it just reactivates that genetic complex. It says, oh, there it is. Boom. So it actually makes sense that the Inhumans and the mutants were kind of replacing each other because they're basically the same thing. They just don't know it. Uh, and I just I had to point that out because it is something I desperately hope they bring into the movies. And if it, uh, they could very easily do it. They've laid that groundwork yeah. that they could absolutely do that. Like the Eternals movie, I did not think was great. I didn't hate it. They made some changes that I don't like, but in general, I didn't think it was terrible. I enjoyed but it. But that's if nothing thing. else... It's, it gives you the, the, the groundwork to bring all this in, to bring mutation in, to bring mutants in, to say they've always kind of been there. Um, it's all there. Uh, Joe is completely right about that. You could absolutely do it. And now the only last thing I will say is give me Richard Ryder as Nova, you cowards. <laughs> yeah, we, 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 I think we're all waiting for that. There's been hints. There's been a few hints. So let's make it happen. You brought the freaking Nova core into it for bleep sake and then you blew them up off screen and then they hint at it they hint at it in shang chi and they hint at it yeah. in uh being something to do with the anyway give it give it to us just give it to us yes we all give want us it. give us nova <sighs> one of the best comics abnett and landing ever did you know what i'll agree <sighs> with that you know but anyway what Go i was gonna say is there anything else we want to add to that before i ask it another comic question uh, I think we're good on this particular one. Uh, they they could absolutely to to give you a TLDR. They could absolutely do the mutants the way that they did them for the for the past few decades because they've set up that there are enough people who don't trust anybody with powers that you could easily say that they'd be really suspicious of people just suddenly having them. Mm-hmm. You know, so I definitely think that that's that to the TLDRs. Yes, they could make it work. So we'll see what happens. I have a feeling we're going to find out sooner rather than later. Uh, but hopefully that gave you a little bit of a primer on recent dealing of mutants in the comics and what they could possibly do. Um, so we're going to move on to the next one, which is another comic question. This one comes from Tetsemi. What is the anti or what is the anti-hero concept in comic books? How well is it done? And what are some examples of characters that are anti-heroes? Uh, I got to jump in real fast before you go. No, please go for it. I can tell you one character that everyone is going to tell you is an anti-hero, but who absolutely is not Batman. Mm-hmm. Batman is not an anti-hero. He's a vigilante. Yes, but he is pure and straight up a hero. His moral code is as rigid and unflexible as anybody's Batman would be a paladin. If he was a D and D character. Now he would be a paladin who also took like a bunch of rogue levels um, and basically said, I don't care about the magic stuff. Just give me being inflexibly good at all times. Yeah, he's 100% a uh, path of vengeance, uh, paladin yeah. slash rogue. 100%. Yeah, he is. He is a, a he is lawful in the sense that he is predictable and regular. He's not lawful in the sense that he thinks law is more important than good. He thinks good is more important than law, but he is not. He is not a frantic constantly bouncing around person and he is not neutral he does not he does not shoot people ever doesn't matter what they did the joker can torture him for the rest of his life he's never going to murder the joker it is not going to happen batman would never do that that's why i said that that spider-man was scarier than batman because you can push spider-man to the point where he goes you know crazy and, and does bad things you can't do that with batman he won't break you could put him in a mother box and torture him for eternity, and he won't break. He actually drives the mother box nuts. Mm-hmm. He just flat out won't. So Batman is not one. Uh, characters that you could say are anti-heroes, Daredevil comes close. Um, Wolverine is, of course, the iconic one. Uh, the Punisher sometimes is straight up a villain, but sometimes veers into anti-hero. He's mostly seen, an anti-hero these days. Yeah. The Venom has been on and off the anti-hero flex for the offense for a while. It depends what on who's makes, with the symbiote. Yeah. The thing about anti-heroes, and it's not just a comics thing. It comes out in just general literature, is an anti-hero is someone who will almost certainly do the right thing, but he won't do it the way that we generally expect in our in prescribed morality 
or that we generally accept as what a heroic person would do, right? Like, yeah, exactly. The idea is that an antihero is is usually a literary figure or or a figure in media, the main character that is acting oftentimes primarily out of self interest um, that defies ethical codes. So one of the most well-known one in comics and one of the most popular ones uh, in recent years is Deadpool. Mm -hmm. Deadpool is not just crazy. He is an anti-hero. And originally he wasn't an anti-hero. He started out as a villain. He started out as a villain and a boring villain. A very boring villain. I'm going to do this He was less cool Deathstroke. He wasn't even less cool Deathstroke. He was less cool ripoff of Deathstroke. True. But. Let me put just say this, and then we'll let Joe get back to saying good things. Rob Liefeld is a terrible person and a terrible artist and an even worse writer. And nothing about Deadpool that anybody likes came from him. Yes, he created the character, but the version he created was boring. Mm-hmm. Every, and you you see this with other characters he created, like Cable. Anything good about Cable came from other people. Mm-hmm. Rob Liefeld didn't, you know, pouches. That's what Rob Liefeld brought to the table. I'm done, but I had to say it at least once. But for a fun thing, uh, when you when you're listening to this podcast, take a couple seconds and Google Pouchman comic book cover. That is Rob Liefeld's legacy. Anyway, uh, so Deadpool is usually my prime example of a good antihero because ultimately he does the right thing and his intentions tend to be in the right spot, at least the right ballpark, right neighborhood, maybe. Uh, but he will do things like straight up murder somebody. There was a, a a comic, and Matt and I have talked about this before, where Deadpool was teaming up with Spider-Man. Spider-Man got knocked out uh, to the point where Deadpool could not get him back on his feet. So what did Deadpool do? Deadpool very, very carefully took uh, the Spider-Man's mask off, put something over his head so he couldn't see who it was so that he could protect his identity, because that's the type of person Deadpool was. He didn't want to know who he was. He wanted to protect the identity because Deadpool didn't trust himself put on the mask, fought as if he was Spider-Man against one of Spider-Man's villains, and at the end of the fight, took the mask off to show that it was not Spider-Man, and then straight up murdered the villain. Like, yeah, he stopped the bad guy. Yeah, he protected hero the, the you know, Peter's identity, but he also murdered somebody. And that's the yeah, type of I, character he is. Deadpool's an interesting choice in this conversation, too, because there's different types. Deadpool is the kind of uh, Don Quixote example mm-hmm. where he's, he's based on that idea that Deadpool is not of sound mind. No, and no. Is he, he might be insane or he might be a metafictional construct. And, and you can debate that one, uh, depending on who the writer is. Him and anarchy do that all the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but regardless of that, Deadpool's a good example because, you know, generally speaking, Here's a reason why I think Deadpool's a really good example. One of the things they did when they were doing the terrible, terrible Secret Empire storyline, the only good thing they did with it was at one point Captain America comes to Deadpool and tells him to do something. He tells him to kill Phil Coulson. Mm-hmm. Now, anybody else would have been like, that's not like Cap. But Deadpool figures, well, it's Captain America. He's got to have a reason. I've killed people before. Sure. And he goes, he feels bad about it, but he kills Phil Coulson because Captain America told him to. That's a perfect example of why. And he, his logic makes sense. If you stop and listen to him, explain it afterwards. He's like, you know, you know, he, it it was Captain America. It's Captain America. If Captain America tells you to do something, it's got to be the right thing to do. Right. I mean, I often don't want to do the things Captain America tells me to do, but I do them because he's Captain America. Yep. And it's just, it is that's America's blank and I'm going to listen to him. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the kind of character he is. He is not stable and he's not sane. He wants to do the right thing for various reasons, but he's got cancer growing in and out of his brain constantly. So he's not a hundred percent sure what's happening at any given moment. And he's also in love with death and a whole, and you know, yeah, and the finals it, are warring with each other. It's a whole, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. But to, to use a character who is not so protected by narrative immunity, I'm going to go back to the one I mentioned as the, the most blatant, one, which is Wolverine. Yeah. He's probably the real first mainstream one outside least, of the Punisher. Yeah, yeah. At least in terms of, of Marvel, he is absolutely that. I would honestly say that I don't think DC has any real antiheroes. They do. They have one. Well, I'm going to get to that in a minute. If you're going to say death, you, nope. I hope you're not going to say a death stroke because he, nope. he ain't one. Nope. All right. Well, then I'll listen. Actually, they have two. If it's, 
If it's Lobo, then definitely isn't Lobo. It is not Lobo. Okay. Good. Um, where was I going with this? Wolverine. Oh yeah. Wolverine's an example. Like one of the things I remember from an interview with Claremont and Byrne way back in the day was that there was always a chance Wolverine one day would snap. And as and, a matter of fact, they did several storylines where he did. Yeah. They did storylines where he snapped, but they meant like one day he, the, the quote I remember is he's like, someday Kitty Pride might come down the stairs and go, Hey Wolverine, is there any cereal left? And he would casually turn and kill her. Yeah, I mean, what is it Not what they used to he, describe him? He was a, a haunted, violent man with a heart of gold. Yeah, like he would kill her and then he'd be like, oh, God, like he wouldn't mean to kill her. He would kill her because she would surprise him and his animal instincts would take over. And he, you know, of course, Kitty's probably the safest one, because as soon as he goes to do that, she just turns into a ghost and he ends up stabbing the refrigerator. But my the point is that that character wasn't funny. There was Deadpool is funny to read. If you read a Deadpool story, most of the good ones are pretty funny. There was never any tremendously hilarious Wolverine stories. Um, the Wolver- first Wolverine limited series wasn't a knee slapper. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he intended to do the right thing, but he, he didn't trust authority. He didn't work well in a team. He had, you know, ang- anger issues that were like, you know, saying he had anger issues is like saying that, you know, the, bu- the bubonic plague gave me the sniffles. Um, it just he was a whole and, ball of things that were not considered heroic at the time. And they very recently uh like revisited that and kind of explained that when they did the many deaths and many lives of Wolverine, which mm-hmm. are well worth a read to kind of get an idea of like how his personality came to be. Because then you yeah. realize that even though he's like he's died dozens and dozens and dozens of times, like he he's a broken person. When by the time like he gets to the the Charles Xavier School for for gifted folks, by the time that he yeah, by the time that he joins the X Men, he has already lived like like a hundred and sixty years or so. And his first like if you go see like read, I didn't actually like the Origins comic that much, but it's still interesting to see childhood James Howlett, who mm-hmm. is not Logan in any way, and how he goes from that to this. You know, if you live that life, you might go from that to this too. Yeah. Um, but for that matter, I want to hear your DC one now. So go well, ahead. I'm also going to throw one last Marvel one out there because I think it's recently gotten a lot more attention, which is Moon Knight. Um, yeah. Who's yeah. very much an anti-hero. Um, a, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, as far as all that goes. And have I've, you ever seen the panel? You've seen the panel. I know you have. Where's my money, Dracula? No, 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 no. That's Brandon Biesco. Like there, yeah. there's, there's a lot of them. For, first off. Nothing's ever going to beat Luke Cage going to Latveria. This is an actual comic they published. He he goes to Latveria over 300 bucks that Dr. Doom owes him. Yes. But I, I meant the one where it's Punisher and Moon Knight. Hey, hey, Mark, still crazy? Hey, Frank. Still, still bleep. You know, you know, still, no, it was like your your, parent, your family's still dead? <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Yeah. It's just Moon Knight is that guy who will absolutely say that to you. Yep. He will find that thing that hurts you because he is broken inside. And he's all, but he's also somebody who like, he's a hero that will kill people straight up. He absolutely has there. there, He'll kill you. One of my favorite scenes is there's a, um, during the death of Dr. Strange in the comic series, a lot of weird things happen where, um, first of all, Spider-Man's out of commission. There's uh, Ben Riley running around as Spider-Man with uh, Felicia Hardy, trying to do Dr. Strange's checklist to keep the city, from unraveling but during this entire time frame part of the city gets put under uh the protection of mr knight which is one of the personalities of moon knight uh and there's a scene where he walks into a face uh vermin who's one of the spider-man rogues galleries that you never really hear too much about but it's yeah. essentially a were rat that can make more were rats that go to a hive might it's ridiculous but he walks in and he's just like Hey, so and so, aka Vermin. I'm just letting you know that you are uh, you're on my block now, and uh, you may be used to Spider-Man. He may try to save you. Not me. I'm just going to kill you until there's no more of you left. So leave or die. Like, and I'm paraphrasing, but like that's the type of person he is. But he's doing it because he's that section of the city is under his protection, and he's protecting people. He's fought vampires as a result of that. He's uh, he's also brought about the end of the universe. But that's a whole other story. Um, from the DC side, there are two that recently are very popular that come to mind. One is the Red Hood, Jason okay. Todd. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he started off more as a villain, but yeah, I'll give he you that. He was absolutely started as a villain when he came back in 2005. 
So he died in a death in the family. It was where fans voted to have one of the members of the Bat family die. Jason Todd. Oh, you know what's great about this? What? The fact that it was auto dialers that decided it. It was absolutely auto dialers that decided that. Uh, <laughs> that's a whole other story. But regardless, they brought him back in 2005, which saw a bunch of, of sidekicks coming back from the dead. Um, he came back as a villain, but now he is back as part of the Bat family. But he's violent. He's rowdy. He is hypersexual. Um, he is he, in their comics. It's him. And I want to say it's um, not Arsenal. His name is Arsenal. Now. Do not call him speedy. Um, and like uh, Starfire going on adventures in the comics, but it is violent and deadly and brutal. See, I, right? I was hoping you were going to bring up the other ones that well, he did. You can go for it. Red hood after the, after Starfire went back to her original personality and they killed off Arsenal again, again, um, they uh, had him teamed up with Artemis from the Amazons yep, yep. and and a Bizarro. Yep. And in kind of like and and I mean I don't like Scott Lobdell. I don't think he's a very good writer. That's just my thing. He did Bizarro well during that comic though. But I'll give him credit for realizing that the Red Hood character as Jason Todd, the, the character as he is presented nowadays, is a broken version of Batman. He's yes. Batman who doesn't work. He's Batman who does not have that rigid moral code that i talked about he is he is what happens if batman were to actually break yeah and so in his version of red hood and the outlaws he basically took the dc trinity of superman wonder woman and batman and said what if each version of them was the was the broken one Mm -hmm. so you had bizarro and artemis yeah yeah artemis artemis isn't broken the way jason is broken but she is she's not wonder woman no. Everything Diana is, Artemis isn't. Diana is like about truth and peace, and she fights to defend. Artemis kills people because she is a warrior, and that's what she does. She does not have time for this. This thing you are talking about, Diana, does not work for me. Thank you. Yep. Um, and Bizarro is Bizarro. Him not him not upset, him happy. That why him punching you. You know, that that and he did a good job with making keeping Bizarro being Bizarro. But while adding also, death, like yeah, a lot of death, you know, a personality. But regardless, he's right. I, I'll give you. I'll give you Red Hood. Who's the other one? The other one is also somebody who has recently moved into the category of antihero in the last maybe five years, and it's Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn started as a pure up, a pure out sidekick to one of the most deranged villains in all of DC Comics. And it, it's worth mentioning here that she started out in this the animated series. It, correct. She started where, where as. The, the Joker that she worked for wasn't as bad as the comics Joker. Correct. Uh, but eventually she did make her way into the comic books due to her sheer popularity with the way that the character was created. Over the years, her character has become more complex, has become more uh, less of a one note uh, in New Jersey sidekick. In the current run of comics and even in the TV animated series that is of the same name, um, which is very adult oriented and still gets a high recommendation for me to watch, at least as far as if it's, you're into the character. I'll, let me put it this way. I don't care about Harley Quinn as a character, but it's an amusing show. Yeah. It's irreverent. And if you go into it, like, you know, being outraged every time it takes a big steaming dump on comic books, don't because they're the kind of jokes that people who read comics know have a point. Like, yeah, he, he's right. The, the, when the Joker starts screaming at Batman, where's my electric car, Bruce? It's funny. I'm sorry. That is. is actually funny. Uh, it's a, it is a good show, but um, they, they go into a lot of, of depth of it where, you know, in the comics, at least recently in a lot of the offshoot comics and in some of the Batman beyond stuff as well in the comics themselves, there's a lot of depth there for Harley Quinn, but she went from being this, the sidekick, this villain that went along with the schemes to being a solo villain to being more of an anti-hero, actually working with the Bat family, um, actually having personality, actually, you know, trying to do something to make up for all of the wrong that she did, but doing it in the very uniquely psychotic way that Harley Quinn does things. Um, the good night bat is definitely a thing that she has used on more than one occasion to take out a villain. Um, she's fought Bane. She's uh, Joker's new sidekick now, Punchline, uh, who is now becoming a villain in her own right, is now essentially in the rogues gallery for Harley Quinn. They fight frequently. Um, Poison Ivy is still this. in a neutral area. I wouldn't say anti-hero, but... No, she's not anti-hero. But Harley Quinn definitely every- is. 
every time they decide to, to make her more have a point than they have her kill an entire school bus full of children. Yeah. It, it's really weird, but I will say this much too on the concept of Harley Quinn. Again, another character I care tremendously about, but uh, the movie portrayals of her, even in movies that were not good, like the original suicide squad movie, the second suicide suicide squad movie is good. And Harley Quinn's solo movie is also good. The birds of prey movie. Um, I thought was very yeah, good. Birds of prey, but it's because the actress just, absolutely nails it mm-hmm. every time Marvel Robbie is fantastic yeah. in that role when, when she's on screen as Harley Quinn she is Harley Quinn like that is exactly how the character should be um, the only person I would give it to more than her was Eileen Sorkin just because she invented the character agreed but in terms of just that scene in the bad Suicide Squad movies where she's like you know they, 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 you think I should kill them all that, that's not I'm just kidding they didn't. They didn't say that. Like she just absolutely perfect. Um, Haley Cuoco is actually pretty good at her. Um, Haley Cuoco, sorry, she's actually pretty good as well. But she she feels very much like she she saw Margot Robbie's performance and is kind of riffing on it, which mm-hmm. is fine. And I do like um, one of the things I like in her performance is that she remembers that Harley Quinn is a genius. Yes, Psy- she's a genius psychiatrist. Yep, she has. She went off the rails for a, for a while. Yeah, but she's not she's not dumb, and she didn't f her way into getting that that degree. She was a talented psychiatrist. The reason the Joker got to her is because the Joker can get to almost anyone because that's all he does. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't like it when they make the Joker a physical threat. He should never be a physical threat. You know, the Joker versus Batman in a fist fight is a is the Joker beat up. Um, the the Riddler should be able to take out the Joker in a fist fight. That's not why you. That's not the Joker's threat. So yeah, I'll I'll give you Harley Quinn. I think that's actually a good call that I did not notice. Yeah, and, and and this is something that, like I said, these are more recent shifts towards it because DC has a tendency of not really having anti-heroes per se versus heroes that become villains that turn back into heroes, like the whole Hal Jordan thing, uh, becoming Parallax, the whole See, nine, right? Like, I loved Hal Jordan as a kid, but I really feel like they should have either just let him die and be dead or let him stay a villain. Agreed. Because it's so weird to stick, now that he's he's out there being Green Lantern, the the greatest Green Lantern of all, he killed half the core. Not not half all. <laughs> yeah, well, no, because then half of them aren't dead. Well, that that's like a whole he, other thing. Yeah, but it just it just irritates me. Re- I agree. Like, and the other one that irritates me is like their 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 desperate need to have Barry Allen be the Flash after he died in Crisis and was dead for like twenty years. Mm-hmm. They'd had to bring him back, and it's like. First off, the Barry Allen you brought back isn't Barry Allen. He doesn't act the way Barry Allen did. He acts the way Wally I'm, West did. I'm going to stop, though, because that's not what the question is, and we're going to be here for all day if we start going no, into that. I, I, let me just get to this point. This is DC's problem that keeps them from having many antiheroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want to have just absolutely unalloyed, iconic characters, and that works for them for the most part, but it does mean the constant need to restore the status quo and let everybody be like, you know, the same guy that we remember from the sixties. It's a real problem with the establishment of an anti-heroic character because an anti-heroic character, like one of the biggest anti-heroes we've got is Han Solo. Han Solo is an anti-hero. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, he's in the same series with Luke Skywalker. Who's just a hero hero. Han is an anti-hero. Han is not an evil person. He's not a cruel person, but Han We'll shoot you in a cantina. And yes, I know about that, but I saw the original version, so I'm going with it. Han will shoot you in a cantina before you do anything to him if he's pretty sure you're going to do it first. Mm-hmm. You know, Han will absolutely. Self-preservation. Yeah. Han Solo is out for himself, but he's not a monster. And because he has a code, it's that code that it doesn't have to be a personal code, but there are, th- what's the old saying? There are just things someone, you know, some pe- there are just some things a man won't do. I think that's from, yeah, it's from the Bruce Lee movie. Um, uh, I want to say Game of Death, but it might not be Game of Death. It might be Enter the Dragon, actually. I think it's, I think it's Enter the Dragon. The, where, like, uh, the John Saxon character, he's, like, when he's shown, like, he's a sleazy guy. He cares about himself. But when he's shown the full extent of the criminal enterprise he has stumbled into, he's like, oh, no, I can't. I can't be a part of this. And it's that moment, the moment where the character has something they won't do or won't tolerate. That's what separates an anti-hero from a villain, a villain, even like a relatively moral one. They they're always going to do the villainous thing because that's their role in the story. Mm -hmm. But an anti-hero is the one who'll be like, 
No, no, you, no, I'm sorry. No. And the Deadpool is one of those characters who has that, you know, for all that Deadpool will absolutely shoot like an entire room full of people. Like if he saw a puppy in there, he wouldn't shoot because he doesn't want to kill the puppy. Yep. Same yeah. Or kids or things like that. He has, he has, yeah. he has, he has hard limits. The, the anti-hero thing for comics became a joke really in the nineties. Uh, because in the mid to late nineties, every company that existed out there, uh, was trying to really push hard on the whole anti-hero thing. Uh, Image Comics at the time had their own version of the Justice League um, that was very, very heavily pushing, trying to be edgy her- heroism, right? They were supposed to be, mm-hmm. you know, have a more morally flexible code. Um, you literally caused me to drop like like three energy levels just by mentioning Youngblood. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, But then you also have, but you also have comics like, you know, the boys, you have comics like, um, uh, Oh, what's the other one that I can't think of right now that they made a movie. out of? Yes. Like there's a bunch of stuff like that, where like that all was born during that era. Right. A lot of it comes from the eighties too, because if you look at like 2000 AD, the British comic, Mm -hmm. um, or the judge dread stuff, which Mm -hmm. was in 2000 AD judge dread is not an antihero. No, but he is, close enough to one that if you don't really pay attention to the fact that he's actually the bad guy, you could think he was, he's an anti, he would be an anti-hero if the society he was serving and defending wasn't so utterly horrible, but he's instead a a reflection. He's a, he's a warning, but a lot of people took that, the popularity of judge dread and other characters like that and tried to bring it into like mainstream superhero comics. And as a result, there's a lot of really bad anti-heroes out there. So like people don't remember that spawn who was a beloved comic in the nineties and, you know, had some questionable movie choices. Uh, <laughs> spawn is an anti-hero, but it started as an anti-hero in Marvel comics called Nightwatch. And Oh yeah. Nightwatch had a living Cape that made him do very nasty things when unless he like exerted control over it um was nightwatch was nightwatch before spawn or after? yeah before sure it was before spawn? it was wow. absolutely because it was created by mcfarland for marvel and when marvel didn't want to keep the character around mcfarland broke off and founded his own comic uh as, as spawn like the, the you look at um there what is it a uh, oh god i want to say it was Darkwing. um there was a, a one about this alien crystal that a teenage boy finds and it Darkhawk. Darkhawk. Dark thank you. Darkhawk, though, I will I will give this to Darkhawk. His own comic was meh at best, but when they put him in the New Warriors, he was cool. Agreed. But yeah. they also, because his own comic, when he was on his own, they were trying to turn it into this weird version of uh, their, essentially their version of Batman Beyond, but in modern day. Uh, with like extra edginess added onto it. There was, oh yeah. Gallons of edginess. Yeah. Like, um, there, there was a whole, uh, the new, the, the original new warriors, all tons of new, uh, just edginess. All the, uh, there's a lot of really bad anti-hero comics because they're not actually anti-heroes. They're literally just heroes that got a coat of black paint. And I'm saying yeah. that I'm saying that not not because everything that that's you know not because it's blackface because that would just be a completely yeah. different horror. But it, but it's like it's literally taking that black roller and be like, oh, goths are edgy. Let's do this, right? Like, yeah, like literally, they couldn't be. There was never a scene in any of these supposed comic books where the lighting was good. Yes, it was all shadows and and seeping in stuff. And and here's the thing: there's a lot of reasons we can point to for this. We could we could be blaming um Dark Knight, the Dark Knight Returns, and and Watchmen for it. Uh, we could talk, we could point out like, you know, Miller's run on daredevil, mm-hmm. which his daredevil was absolutely anti-hero 100%. But ultimately what happens is a lot of, a lot of people came along and there's a lot of bandwagon jumping where people are just trying to do something cause it's popular, not because it's the story that should actually be done with the character. Agreed. Daredevil with, with whatever you want to think of Frank Miller as a creator, his daredevil, that's actually where the character needed to be. That's the, the stories that were being told were the right ones for Daredevil. Um, having him fight the Kingpin, having the Kingpin be like a real credible threat, you know, all that stuff worked for Daredevil. But doing it over and over again with every character, trying constantly to make every character like that, it doesn't make any sense. Com- one of the great things about comic books, well, this goes into something else. And, and Joe's right, we will be here all day if we do this. But I will say this much. Back in the 50s, the most popular comic book company 
was neither National Comics, who became DC later, nor was it anything published by Martin Goodman, who had Timely, which turned into Atlas, which turned into Marvel. They were not the big ones. The big company at that time was EC Comics. Oh, wow. Yeah, I forgot about that. And EC Comics did horror comics mm-hmm. from, you know, the Crypt Keeper. You know, a lot the, of the pulp you know, serial stuff, too, right? Yeah, they did war comics. They did, you know, a lot of different kind of stuff. In the 50s, a man named Frederick Wortham published a book called Seduction of the Innocent. People often remember this as the comic that suggested that Batman and Robin were gay. But that was a footnote compared to how much they dumped on EC Comics for being grotesque and amoral. And because they were making so much money, other companies like National Comics and Goodman's Atlas at the time got together and created the Comics Code. And in the Comics Code, there's a whole list of behavior that you just cannot do. And it was aimed at destroying EC Comics, which it did. Mm-hmm. Like they went out of business. I think the only thing that they kept doing was Mad Magazine. I think Mad Magazine was theirs for a while. Not sure on that one. But they killed, they successfully killed entire genres of comics. And one of the results of that was that the reason that DC doesn't have any antiheroes until fairly recently was because none of DC's characters were allowed any kind of moral complexity. Mm-hmm. And Marvel, even when Marvel was doing in the early 60s, it took until I think 64, 65 for Stan Lee to get fed up enough to finally publish a comic without the comics code. Yeah, because he wanted something that was relatable, that something that showed flaws, that something was something that people could pick up on, right? Yeah, but he specifically wanted to do an anti-drug story because he'd been asked to do it mm-hmm. by the U.S. government. And he was like, eh, you know, I don't necessarily like your politics, but you're right. The drugs are bad. There's a lot of bad stuff happening. So I'm going to do this comic. And he did the comic and he submitted it to the, co- the Comics Code Authority. And they were like, no way, you can't show this. And he's like, the, the U.S. government asked me to do this. And they're like, we don't care. He was like, well, then I don't think I need your stamp of authority that much. Mm-hmm. And so he published it. And that's why Marvel got ahead of the game. Marvel characters were flawed to begin with. Like Spider-Man would have been considered anti-heroic to DC. He was a, first off, he was a teenager. He was selfish. He wanted to make money with his powers. And he only became a superhero for real when someone he cared about died. Now, all of that said, he, Spider-Man is one of the most heroic characters you're going to see. He's proved it a thousand times. But he had flaws. He was a person. He wasn't the absolutely perfect mannequin that, that Superman and Batman were at that time. And I loved Superman. You know I do. But nevertheless, the, the Superman that was published in the 50s and 60s, had the only flaw he had was that he was a dick to Lois Lane because the writers liked to do that. He had no characterization. Spider-Man was loaded with characterization. The Fantastic Four bickered with each other. Mm-hmm blamed each other for things um even captain america when he came back in the 60s he doubted himself he's like why why should i even be captain america like this was all new this is why marvel had the edge on anti-heroes because when it came time to introduce a truly anti-heroic character they already kind of had one like they they knew where that was going um is the hulk a hero no the hulk is just the strongest yeah but is he heroic Kind of, sort of. He's heroic in how he defies his condition and the world around him, but he doesn't, he's not a superhero. Honestly, the best way that I could, if you ever want to learn exactly like the perfect, it it is a horror style comic, but the Immortal Hulk is the perfect distillation of this, right? Yeah. If Bruce, if Bruce Banner has heroism in him, it is in how he deals with and struggles with the nature of what he is. Mm Mm-hmm. That the, that's the heroic part of him, but he is not like, he is not like Batman. He is not, he is not going out there to the thing he is trying to stop from destroying the world is himself. And one of the best parts about the, the, the series Joe is talking about is the end where he gets to yell at God, where he's literally like, why did you do this to me? Why did you make me this? And you know, the, the God figure in question, it basically says he, at one point the Hulk realizes, wait a minute. No, the, the thing I've been dealing with, the thing I've been, it's not, it's not some separate thing from you. It's your Hulk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's just this beautiful moment. And I feel I'm not really spoiling it for you because it's such a dense comic that you would still have to read the whole thing to understand what it I'm is. Talking it about. is very dense, but it's worth it. But I think that's it where we are. We are over time. Uh, honestly, yeah. Matt and I have been, we can talk about comics all day long. Um, 
it, it is it is something near and dear to both of us, and we both have lots of opinions on it. But I didn't you, even get to bring up the, like I didn't even get to bring up like the imaginary story concept, like, I, which is one of the things we, I've always wanted to talk about. And we, we didn't even get and like on the antihero stuff, we didn't get to even touch the surface on the complexity that is actually the Punisher, not yeah. what was portrayed on the screen, but like what actually he is in the comics, like and the, what he's been. Oh yeah. my god! Like going from his original appearance to like stuff they've done, like some of the horrible missteps they've done with the Punisher. You're you're a Frankenstein now. What? Hey, what? remember when he was the Herald of Galactus? But that's a whole other story. At least the Herald of Galactus thing made led some to a sense. funny character. Yeah. <laughs> but my God, just when they decided he was Frankenstein, like what? Yeah. No, sorry, not Frankenstein. The Frankenstein's monster. monster, whatever. Yeah. Oh boy, the Punisher. We we could go with this all day long, but we're not because we we have things we have to do and. Honestly, uh, I need to stop talking and drink some water. <laughs> but if you have questions for this podcast or any of our other podcasts, be sure to send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Specify what show it's for. And again, it could be about anything you want to know that's story driven. If it's for Lore Watch, just let us know. If you want us to do an entire theme of, of comics or, or things like that, we're more than happy to. Um, if you can't do an email, you can go ahead and send them in on Discord. Uh, you can hit us up on our Patreon Q&N podcast questions channel. Uh, or if you are not a Patreon supporter and want to send us a Discord message as well, we do have a Q&N podcast question section. And as a uh, reminder to all of us at, at home there, uh, Blizzard Watch and all of our podcasts are made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Your continued support means this podcast, the site, and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance of having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And as one last reminder, those of us at Blizzard Watch continue to stand with the employees of Activision Blizzard, the game industry at large, as well as basically any industry that's doing this because it's kind of important uh, as they work towards unionization and securing a safer work environment and a better tomorrow. But with that, folks, we'll see you next week.